The following Downstage Center program was originally broadcast in May 2006. Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Today we're joined by Zoe Wanamaker. Now, Zoe, you are very, very well known in Great Britain. You've been on Broadway several times, currently back on Broadway in a, a, an older show from basically the 1930s, Clifford Odette's show, Awake and Sing. Welcome to Downstage Center. Thank you. In a nutshell, can you summarize the, the, the plot, the synopsis of what Awake and Sing is all about? It was written in 1935 by Clifford Odets. Mm. It was staged back then. Now it's being revived on Broadway. N- not only has it been revived on Broadway, but it's in, revived at the Velasco Theatre, which is where it was first performed by the group theatre. Uh, Awake and Sing is a family drama, I suppose. It's really about about uh, family in the depression in uh, struggling to survive. That's the basic synopsis of it. Um, it uh, the, the immigrant family, first generation, I would think, American, um, coming from, I would say, Eastern European, Russian Jews, Russian Jews definitely. Uh, Clifford Odets wrote this play initially... Um, with a lot of Jewish references in, and then when it was taken up by the group, um, Stella Adler was a great uh, champion of it. Uh, Lee Strasberg didn't want to do it, but uh, Stella did. And because of that, they did it, and it was a huge success, and it put Clifford Odets on the map, it, it, which uh, is a wonderful thing that it's now being revived again. You, This is your fourth show on Broadway, mm-hmm. um, obviously there have probably been many opportunities for you to come over. What appealed to you about doing this production? The play, the director, Bartlett Shear. Um, he gave very good phone. <laughs> <laughs> I like that term. Very, he, he was wonderful on the phone. It was When I first read it, I thought, oh, this is a very creaky old play, and um, do we really want to know? And is it very old-fashioned? But actually, once I started talking to Bart, it, uh, it start things started to make it started and it started become more exciting. Uh, it, it sounded like he was wanting to bring it into the twenty-first century, which I I'm very pleased that he did. And uh, it was that feeling; it just felt the right thing to come back and do. Uh, particularly with the Lincoln Center, which is a a very, very respected company to work for, group to work for. Um, They're the equivalent, I suppose, of the National Theatre of Great Britain in that sense that they take risks, uh, they do interesting work, and not necessarily um, in a normal way. And I found that very interesting to do. And it's a particularly diverse cast, people with lots of different kinds Mm -hmm. of experience. Mm. And I'm just wondering how Bart drew you all together, and ultimately you are the the powerful matriarch Mm -hmm. of of this group. I don't know, but it's just him. He brought us together with his intelligence and his humor. I also have to add to that as far as about doing this play is concerned it 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 does reflect very much my own background as far as i was born here both my uh parents came were first generation americans both came from uh, uh from both my grandparents on both sides fled russia 
during the pogroms and came over on boats. Uh, both uh, were sent to Ellis Island and then diversified. My mother's uh, parents went to Canada. My father's parents went to Chicago and uh, they lived in in the Jewish ghetto in Chicago. Um, so all of this is for... This play has a lot of resonances for me. Also that both my parents were at the first meeting of Lee Strasberg's first um, loan uh, workshops that he presented. So uh, I was brought up with believing that the method was the way to go, to work, um, although I was never trained in it, <laughs> yeah, ironically enough. Um, but uh, so it, those resonances, I'm sorry, I diversed, but um, those resonances were very strong to come back to my roots and to do this play. Uh, that's why it's I'm connecting with my past as well. Well, in this play, Awaken Sing, as Harold mentioned, you play the matriarch. It's basically mm. three generations of this family living in a, in a rather cramped apartment in the mm. Bronx mm -hmm. with, a, with an outside border that they took in to make a few more dollars. And, mm -hmm. and your, your, your daughter is working, contributing the son and all that are working, contributing to mm. supporting the family, which mm. might be a novel idea nowadays to have the kids mm. contributing to supporting the family. Mm. But it takes place in this apartment with all the different problems that these, these people are having. And your character is kind of the the one that keeps them together, but also kind of is the tough love mother, in a sense. Yes, I mean, she has to keep them together. She's married to a, a, a man who's, whose um, potential was not fulfilled um, as, a, as a lawyer and also as a human being, in a way. And so she's had to run the house, the family, and make sure that... I mean, you just must think what it must be like to have to scrape together money with very little, you know, with all feeding everybody, clothing everybody, keeping everything clean, you know, the, just the day-to-day -day running of a, of a household and trying to fit in with the society would, uh, to the country that they'd come to, to assimilate. That's what it's about. It's also wonderfully political, this play. I mean, it was written at the time of great hope uh, for America, the influx of, of uh, socialism, was very, very popular and very rife, and the hopes and the dreams of this country were based in the 20s and 30s. It was a very exciting time, and, and what is also interesting, I think that's one of the things that Bart, um, we talked about a lot, was that the politics have, have changed quite dramatically. And in a way, that was one of the reasons for doing the play, because... It must remind us of where we've come from, what this country has been based on, um, which is um, a democracy of of left-wing tendencies, and we've forgotten that. And that, I think, is um, a shame. And I think that's one of the the main focal points of why we why what we focus on. The poverty is something that we don't really really understand anymore. Um, this kind of poverty that people lived in. I mean, us nice white middle-class people don't remember this. Our grandparents struggled desperately to survive and to also, again, to assimilate, to try and be part of a community um, so that there was uh, respectability and be accepted and speaking of English and, you know, the whole 
schlemiel, <laughs> the whole thing. And I think it's a, th- that's really the politics of it. And that's, I think, we were all united on that. That's quite interesting. Now, when you were preparing to play Bessie Berger, the mm. role that you play, what did you do to prepare for that? Did you do any research into the original play, how Stella Adler played it? Did, do you? No, I, can't, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't even begin to know what Stella I mean, I've seen some tapes of Stella, uh-huh. um, which are fantastic. And Mark Ruffalo actually trained with Stella for six years on and off. Um, I've met people who train with Stella. Um, it sounds wonderful and scary at the same time. <laughs> I can't replicate that. I mean, I was uh, working on a television show back in England and I literally had 10 days in which to pack my bags and after the finishing of taping and come. So the books that I'd collected, I had no time to read. So now I'm beginning to read them. <laughs> so, um, so I'm now catching up with my homework. But it's, uh, as far as research is concerned, I started when we got here. When I got here, I started working on the accent. I started reading and I started trying to learn the lines because I'm quite slow. So I, as, long as, as soon as I felt confident about the the lines and the language, the way it was spoken then i could start research and i happen to have in the apartment that I, that i'm in uh, a fantastic book um and a dictionary of new york which is from a to z of everything that went on or, or buildings whatever politics and it's been my bible really every morning i just open a page and read all about producers or theaters or or union square or so I'm I'm fully up about that. <laughs> Is this the first time that you've played an American yes. role in America? Yes. You've played American roles in England. Yes, a lot. So is it a different experience here working with an, a, a fully American company? You are an American. You mm. were raised in England. Mm. But people who were raised here and perhaps grew up more in the American idiom. Mm-hmm. What, what's been the experience of doing that versus when playing the Americans well, with that, a British company? Well, at first, well, that was what scared me at first because I thought, I, I fooled the English, but I don't know if I can fool, <laughs> fool New York Jewish Americans. I don't think I could do it. Um, and so that's why I arrived slightly earlier than everybody else so I could start working with a dialect coach at, at the Juilliard. Um, um, and... It's when I felt confident that that was possible, then I was happy. It's quite interesting because everybody's accent in the show is different. I mean, Ben Gazzara is Italian. <laughs> uh, Ruffalo is basically Italian, or born in Wisconsin. Um, everybody is from a different place. And Pablo Schreiber was born in Canada. So everybody's come from all different places, which is exactly like this country. <laughs> um, and uh, but to to make everybody sound the same, we had uh, Ralph Zito, who's a, a fantastic dialect coach, um, and Wendy Waterman, who was my dialect coach initially, um, and we worked together on that. So we've just tried to. Uh, all Bart wanted was that we all sound similarly. We all sound about from the same place. It doesn't have to be accurate, but it can all be from the same. Household. And so that you sound believable as a family. Exactly, right. exactly. So um, Lauren comes from Connecticut, and you know, so I mean, it's it's a wonderful mixed bag. Talking about Lauren Ambrose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she plays the daughter Henny. She plays Henny. Right? Yes. And of course, Americans know her. Television from six knows feet her under. from Six Feet Under. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very diverse cast. With you it's mentioned a Ben Gazzari, Jonathan Hedari is in mm-hmm. it, and we mentioned Mark Ruffalo, Pablo Schreiber, Richard Topol. Very 
very good group of actors together. Yes, yes, yes. It's fantastic. And and what we've got is a wonderful foundation of a company. And it's a, there's a lot of love there, I think, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we have a lot of good times together. And we and it's very tight and I've really I've been very happy to come and do this uh, This is although I, I've this is my first play playing an American apart from Piaf when I first came in 1981 I think it was <laughs> where I was playing a Cockney um, I've worked or only the last Lute and the play I did which transferred from the Manhattan Theatre Club to the Music Box and um and what was it? Electra. Electra. We're all with American actors. Mm-hmm. So, uh, my experience of working with Americans now is is quite nice. And, and Electra was a, another interesting challenge in terms of you had done Electra at the Donmar mm-hmm. originally mm-hmm. with an with an all English company, mm-hmm. and then came over and did it here first at the McCarter Theater in New mm-hmm. Jersey, mm-hmm. and then it sort of was acclaimed there and taken mm-hmm. up to Broadway. Mm-hmm. There, you were redoing a show. You were doing a part you'd played before, but you were doing it with the same director, but with all different people around you. Yes. Was it challenging to to keep your performance as as everything around you changed, or was it about evolving your performance to to again to to find the commonality with that company? Well, it's interesting. I mean, the history of Electra was quite interesting. Anyway, uh, I'll just start at the beginning, and then I'll answer your question. I mean. Firstly, let me answer your question. Um, is it was easy? I just w- what I did is that when David Laveau, who directed it, cast it um, while he was he came over here. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, uh, I we discussed whether I should on the first day of rehearsal uh, not give a performance. Or should I give them uh, the company who'd never done it before a performance, so that <clears throat> I'm, so not to, to make to either think, oh gosh, she knows it and she's going to give us a performance, and we've got to we've got to uh, just fit in with her. <laughs> um, so we had to make a decision as what to do. So I just spoke to the company. And I said, look, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you what I've done, so that you know you know where you stand or or not and we can then change it but this is where this is as far as I got um, and I think that was being you have to be honest uh, because it's it's a very it was a very difficult part to hold back on it, strangely enough for me uh, the, the, the beauty of the play was that uh, we opened first in Chichester uh, in a little theatre called the Minerva Theatre which only seats 300 50, I think. And then there was a choice of whether going to go into the West End or not. And David Laveau decided that the best space for it would be the Donmar. Again, a small space. A tiny space, even smaller, which was 200 and 250. And it was a sellout there. And then the decision, the, the question was to whether to go into the West End. Now, the only theatre available was not the right theatre. So David Laveau and I decided not to do it because at that time that was the only way you could bring a, an off... You can only bring a, an, an English play, an English production, it seems, to go on to Broadway if it's done a 16-week run in the West End. That makes it somehow 
don't ask me how or why. <laughs> it's a producer thing. <laughs> um, and so I said, no, I don't want to take it to the West End. It would ruin it. And also I was exhausted because I'd done it for some time. Um, and I was determined that it should come to New York. I was absolutely determined. And I went to Sam Mendes, who was then running why? the Dumba. If I can interrupt you for a second. Why? Because I knew, I knew America would love it. Okay. I knew they would love it. It's, you know, a 2,500-year-old play. And I just knew the translation by, the adaptation by um, Frank McGuinness was, was, was brutal, uh, tough. Uh, it had poetry of its own. Uh, it, it it was strong beyond belief, and I just believed that New York would love it. Um, and, and so you so now so back to you went to Sam Mendes. I went to Sam Mendes and said, "Look, I don't want to do this." Who was then running the Donmar? I said, "I don't want to take this to the West End. I think it should go to New York." And he said, "Well, I don't know how you're going to do that." David Laveau happened to know happened to know Emily Mann, the artistic director of the artistic Mercado, who is a wonderful woman, um, and she took it and that's the only way we could get it somewhere near New York and then we had to hope that somebody charming and wonderful would uh, pick it up as a producer and bring it in um, which eventually they did They say in the West End the right theatre wasn't available, it was mm. theatres that were available too big, too small just It just was... didn't have the right, it's, it's got to have the right atmosphere, uh-huh. that place it, you know, every production I think it was wonderful that the Awakened Sing is back at the Belasco again after 80 years or something uh, it's just fa- it's just wonderful it's wonderful that it should the history of that is just it's it's quite um tingle making you know <laughs> <clears throat> for me and it is the right building for it it's um and so for electra the, the princeton was an ideal space huge bum much much larger than huge the i'd never played, played his, i never knew it was going to be like that but how, how many seats about 1100, 1100 seats it's about 11, but it goes back it's like a barn it goes yeah. long and narrow so it's quite uh, it was quite intimidating at first but then the designer whose name i've forgotten i can't remember i'm sorry <laughs> um he built some steps which were revealed right at the end and this fantastic iron door that opened up so it made it much more operatic mm. um, and interesting I just go back on Electra because it was just such a again another inspired, inspired, inspiring thing well, I got the idea of when David Laveau asked me to do Electra I got inspiration from seeing De La Guarda I don't don't ask me why it was just people flying on trapezes I mean um, flying through the sky and coming down into an audience through paper, which I don't know if you ever saw De La Guarda. It was just the most wonderful experience. Though the man who created it is now doing the aerial work for Tarzan. Tarzan, exactly. So we've quickly gone from Electra to Tarzan, yeah, which, why which not? is probably a leap not many make. <laughs> but that was a great inspiration for me. It's funny how you get these ideas. And then I went to see the opera of Electra and to see 50, or is it 40, violins playing in the mm. orchestra pit which is not big enough for them, and seeing the sustained note, or hearing the sustained note when Orestes goes in to kill, kill his mother, is <laughs> mm-hmm. just one of the most electric things. And uh, that was good inspiration for me. I didn't have to do any research. <laughs> well, we're talking about really the work that has brought you to America now. You did emigrate with your parents when you were a small child. Three. 
um, because your dad um, was the subject of the McCarthy witch hunts and yeah. he was blacklisted. Um, growing up in England, uh, certainly before you began your career, did you feel like an expatriate or you were young enough that this was simply where you grew up, but your parents were the foreigners? Mm. Yes. There was, a, again, a, a thing of assimilation, I think, very much so. It was interesting because I had two other sisters and we all were sent to different schools. And I went to a co-educational progressive school um, where... You know, you didn't wear uniform, and it was small classes of 20, 25. Um, and so, uh, yes, we d it was, we yes, we were foreigners. Uh, I remember my dad driving us to a, into a, a, a country estate or something which says private, no entrance, and he just drove straight through. And we were shouting, no, no, you can't, you can't, you can't do that. Daddy, daddy, don't do that. He said, no, I'm an American. I can just say I'm an American. I've lost my way. And, and that's what he used to do. And um, and he, uh, so I was uh, embarrassed by being American. And yet, uh, once he got his passport back, which I have to say took him after he was denied his passport, after it ran out in the 50s, which wasn't for 12 years that he got his passport back, mm. uh, that um, he then came back and did some work over here and started coming back more and more. He would come home as a sort of apology for being away for so long. He'd bring, he'd bring suitcases full of clothes for the for us, the girls, and there'd be a fight as to who got the the brightest socks or the fan most fantastic stockings. I mean, there were f f arguments, fights would break out. And, and I would go to school dressed because I was allowed to wear my own clothes at this mm -hmm. school. So it was a kind of fashion competition, really. Well, you, you were born in New York City, mm -hmm. but you were about three years older when mm -hmm. your family moved to England. Mm -hmm. So growing up, did you feel at all like an American? Because you didn't really know what America was like. You were, would have no. been too young to remember New York. No, definitely. And then how old were you when you first came back to the United States? Uh, I was 18 or 19. Hmm. I just started drama school. And, of course, it was the 60s, and it was, um, you know, in England we had miniskirts and sort of permed hair, mm -hmm. you know, and it was... Uh, and the Beatles were very popular here and the Rolling Stones, and, of course, I felt very arrogant because I was suddenly very English. People saying man and cool and stuff like that, which we thought was really uncool. <laughs> um, uh, so, but my experience of it was very... I felt very alien. And I think it's... It, 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 is a shame, really, because I, I, I missed out on, I think, a, a schooling. If I'd had been brought up sometime in, in this country in an in a educational capacity, I think I would have been able to understand a bit more my background. Well, I wanted to ask you about schooling because mm. when you made the choice to pursue a career in the theater, mm. you went into an English drama school. Mm -hmm. Was there ever a thought of training over here, or do you recall how you, you made the decision to, to stay there for school? It seemed a natural progression, I think. Um, I tried to avoid going to be an, being an actress. Mum and Dad were very against it. They didn't want me to be in the business. They felt um, that I was 
too sensitive, <laughs> and that it was about rejection. And if you're particularly if you're a girl, a woman, it's very difficult. And I'm not, um, have never been a pretty girl. Let's say, um, a conventionally pretty girl. Uh, I they think they knew that I was going to would have problems. So I, <laughs> so I started. I was quite good at painting and drawing, so I went to art school for a year, and then I learned that that discipline wasn't right for me. Uh, and then I decided I wanted to go to drama school. It just seemed to be a natural progression to go here rather than America. I think maybe it's a lot to do with fear. Uh, when I left drama school, I know my father saying to me, you should now go to New York, you should really go to New York. But I was frightened, I think. I was scared of um, being... I suppose being in a culture that I didn't understand, I hadn't grown up with, uh, and I think that 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 has influenced my life ever since. I think we should mention that your father was Sam Wanamaker, director, producer, performer. Yes, I beg your so you grew up in, a, in an environment of, should I say, show business. Did you always want to be in theatre, in, in in motion pictures, and television? Was that always your goal, or did you want to be something else at one point? Well, I did want to be a painter at one point, uh -huh. a costume designer as well. Uh -huh. um, but the, really, it was to be an actress, I think, it from a very early age. Kind of in, in your blood, so to speak. It was in my blood. Um, when we were lived here, I know that we had a, a nanny called Aggie, and Aggie used to, was a Catholic, and she used to go to, in New York, and she used to go to to church and she used to take me and apparently I learnt to genuflect very quickly <laughs> and my mother always said that was a very theatrical thing and that I, I always cried at the interval of plays because I thought it was over I wanted it, didn't want it to stop and I liked dressing up and all that kind of stuff and I always wanted to be and when dad, when Sam Wanamaker played Iago to Paul Robeson's Othello at Stratford uh, um, with the Royal Shakespeare Company um that did it, really. I mean, the, to go backstage and smell the size of the... which is that stuff that they put on canvas, or did. Mm -hmm. um, and also, Daddy used to row on the River Avon to work. I mean, it was the most idyllic and time. How old were you at that point? Must have been about ten. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, getting out of drama school... Were your parents' fears realized, or <laughs> were did, was, was it a struggle, or did you find yourself able to slip into roles, albeit, you know, as you said, you, you've, I've read a number of articles where you talk about your looks and mm. how that was, was going to affect your career. Mm. And what was the effect, certainly in that period in the 70s? Were you immediately taken up as a character actress, or were you really pushing to find work? Um, no, I actually, I hardly ever stopped. I had a, I had a, when I first started, I had a bit of a break of about nine months which was hairy, and hairy means scary. <laughs> um, and it was hard, uh, you know, literally counting the pennies uh, as to whether I could get myself a piece of bread or some a sandwich or something. Um, uh, but I think like Bessie Berger in Awakened Sing, the fear of poverty <laughs> is pretty um, close. Uh, and I like working, so I have pretty much worked non-stop. You've worked a lot in, in England, certainly, yes. also in film and television. I guess many yes. American audiences know you from one of the Harry Potter films as Madame Hooch. The first one, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the first one of those films. Uh, how did you get into, into television and film work? A little bit different than stage work, obviously. 
Yes, I mean in England, you know, you do everything. Uh, you because it's such a small country, you know, you do radio, you do television, you do commercials. I mean, voiceovers, readings. I mean, and it's all there if you're lucky enough to, to be able to get it. Um, and so there's no specialization. Uh, here it's much more. Um, Well, it seems it's it's much tougher here, I think. There are more of us, as far as actors are concerned, many more of us, and the writing is always the thing, isn't it? I mean, it's always to do with the quality of writing um, in any shape or form, whether it be plays or big screens, uh, television or film, and that's... Um, it's a It's a very rare thing, and I... Because I've been brought up, I suppose, with a fairly decent education... Uh, the love of language for me is very important and the love of good writing I mean when I left drama school that's what I wanted to do was new writing I didn't want to do Shakespeare um, uh, <laughs> so I ended up doing Shakespeare mm -hmm. but uh, but uh, I did I did try and do as much new writing as I could and it seemed to be and also it's it's um, you, as, a, as an actor, you get handed around by directors. So somebody works with you and then they, they say, oh, she's quite good, you should use her or him. Or, and so it goes on. And that's the sort of way it ha has happened in England. You just get passed on. <laughs> so when, when you're offered a role, you're considering a role, mm. do you look at, at the book? Do you look at who you're going to be appearing with? Do you look at the director? What, what's mm. primary in your consideration for, for accepting a role? Mm. The director is very high up on the list. Uh -huh. Very high. I can't really do it without a director. I, I, I wish I could, but I, I, I rely very heavily on, on an outside eye, very, very much so. Um, the director is prime, actually, uh, uh, and the writing, if the play is powerful, then I feel confident that, that the director can handle it. Um, with Bart Lutt, I felt the phone conversation was enough. <laughs> Isn't that weird? In, in, in the case of Awake and Sing. <laughs> in case of Awake right. and Sing, yes. Um, um, let me see. I've worked with Howard Davis, an English director, um, a lot. I've wor worked with him six times, and uh, we've developed a shorthand together, which I really enjoy. Um, but I'm, but that's why I like working with new people. I mean, Bartlett was was a, was a joy. Bartlett Shear. Mm, Bartlett Shear, yeah. yeah. I want to veer off for a moment. We've mentioned your father several times, mm. and you are still on the board of the Globe Theatre in England, mm -hmm. which was a pet project of your father's literally for decades, mm -hmm. which he passed away a couple of years before it opened in 1996. And you were very much responsible when he passed away for kind of getting it, what we would use a sports metaphor here, those last 10 yards. Mm -hmm. Now... Ten years on from it having opened, mm. there's been even you're on to the second artistic director. What's your perspective on this thing that your dad created, and and how involved are in it are you at this point? Well, when Dad was first obsessed by it, <laughs> which must have been in the '60s, late '60s, uh, I didn't want to know. It was uh, among the, and this is the, uh, I say this against myself. Uh, the, the British acting community felt that he was an American and what did he know and a lot of respected actors were 
wouldn't support him, which he found extremely shocking. And we should say it's, it's somewhat of an apocryphal story, perhaps, but that he, when he was in England, he just wanted to go see where was Shakespeare's theatre and found nothing. This was in 49, when he was doing uh, Give Us This Day, the film. Um, uh, uh, yes. Uh, he's just saw a plaque on a brewery wall saying this is on or around where Shakespeare's globe was. And it sort of became a thing with him. And then in the 60s, he suddenly decided that this is what he wanted to do. He got a tent up. He, um, Vanessa Redgrave did um, Antony Cleopatra there with the tent. Um, and he was up in his underpants after the rain had filled the tent up. And he was up in, at the top, on the top of the tent with a bucket bailing out. I mean, that's the kind of man he was. Okay. Um, when he died, I mean, I was very ambivalent about it all because I thought, well, they have the Royal Shakespeare Company. Why would they have... People were saying that uh, it would be like Disney. And actually, what's wrong with Disney? It's clean, it's nice, it's tidy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun place to be. Um, but... Uh, I think it was a phenomenal thing that when Mark Rylance, uh, who is an actor and of great talent, uh, took it over, it was the best thing that could have ever happened. He took it in, uh, he took it on in his own way and made it Catholic in its tastes, meaning all sorts of things. Um, and he brought a fantastic audience to it. And the wonderful thing is about it is that now um, somebody else to take up the baton. Um, I think it's... it's uh, Dad said to me before he died, which was very interesting, he said... He said, you know, it's not going to work for a bit. It may not work, for, you know, for a while, but somebody one day will pick up the baton and run with it. Well, I think Mark Ryden certainly has. Um, <clears throat> and... Uh, and the next boy who takes it on, who, which will be very exciting to see. I think it's it should be liquid. It should, it should be exciting and different. And every new artistic director should have fun with it and enjoy it, and struggle with it and fight with it. I mean, um, I've forgotten his name. I've forgotten his name. Is taking over. Dominic Drongul. Dominic Drongul. Thank you very much. Has come out fighting, which I think is fantastic. I mean, he's been strong and. Um, his interviews in the papers have been wonderfully articulate and and he's not going to be be made to feel inferior and I think that's great I think that's wonderful as far as my work is concerned I mean I was dad and I had a, an, a, an understanding just before he died when he said we, we both knew that I was not going to be a director or um a fundraiser or a producer i couldn't i can't replicate him and i don't want to i want to be an, an actor that's all i want to do so my presence there is really just to make sure it doesn't go up its own backside <laughs> really you know it's interesting a moment ago uh, you were talking about your father when he was starting up in this effort uh, mm being kind of looked down upon as being an American and what did he know? Mm -hmm. And so many British actors want to work in this country. They want to work oh. in American theater on Broadway, in films and television, mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, is there still an air of snobbism today? I mean, this is decades ago that we're talking about when your father was starting the effort. Does that, that same attitude still exist? Do I you think, think? Or I has th that changed? Well, you see, the thing is, it's, I think that was about, uh, I think they viewed dad as an American who probably had money. And therefore, why didn't you just give the money and build the thing? 
mm-hmm. um, instead of asking the community to do it, to, to the country to do it. Uh, I think because American plays, when they are done in England, they're usually done very, the best way by Americans, mm-hmm. <laughs> the ones I've seen over in, in England. I mean, um, but there are very good British actors who can play Americans. I don't know. I don't know that many Americans who live over over in England and get huge amounts of work, mm-hmm. unless they can speak, you know, with an English RP accent. Mm-hmm. We keep going back and forth. It's become the the theme of of this conversation with mm. you about England and America. Mm. Um, but as you talked about, uh, you know, feeling foreign in America and that's why mm. you didn't come over when you were you were younger. Mm. What is the experience now of working here? What are are there different qualities to working in the theater in London versus in New York? In New York there's a there seems to be a wonderful uh, energy about talking about the craft of of acting uh, which I enjoy tremendously. There is an interest in the way people, actors, get there. Uh, there's an interest in in the work. There's always constant discussions about... People are constantly going to see other shows and there's an inquisitiveness and, and a, a curiosity and a delight in other people's work, which is not so apparent in England. <laughs> it's a bit more guarded in England. And uh, because there's less of it about... Uh, there's a lot of good work in this town and a lot of wonderful actors in this town um, and that is exhilarating and scary at the same time <laughs> but London is much more um, there's only a few places where you can go to do really good work the National and the Royal Shakespeare Company there are others but they're you know, like the Royal Court or the Almeida Theatre but these are small and the chance to be able to do good get your teeth into dramatic roles or comedies or whatever are, are quite quite short on, on the ground. Well, Zoe, when we started this uh, this chat, we were talking about Awake and Sing, which you're currently starring in, playing Bessie Berger. It's running through the middle part of June. What happens after the show closes to you? What, what are you looking to do next? Uh, there's uh, the comedy series that I've been doing with um, the actor Robert Lindsay, which has become extremely successful. We've done six series of it now, and that has reared its head again. Um, so that's a possibility. Um, I I've joined David Suchet on Poirot as Ariadne Oliver. Um, apparently, Agatha wrote. Well, I know she wrote about eleven stories worth of Ariadne, and that's a possibility that I will do. I've done one already, playing her, and uh, I'm apparently going to do three more and then there's a possibility of a new play Do you think we'll see you back on Broadway playing whether it's an American role or not? I love to, I love it, I love it here I I mean everybody says that I I know everybody says that but I really enjoy my time here I get a a lot of uh, I get a lot of energy from it and and, uh, it feeds my soul Well, Zoe, we've enjoyed our time with you today in Downstage Center. Thanks so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Zoe. For the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theatre Wing is available online 
on demand for free from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John Von Susten for Downstage Center. That's a wrap, and thank you. The American Theatre Wing encourages all of our podcast fans to share our programs with friends and colleagues, but we remind you that any commercial distribution, commercial use of our programs, or program modification is prohibited without our express permission. We appreciate your cooperation and invite you to contact us with any questions. Thanks for listening.